Welcome to Women Leading the Way Radio Show, where each time you'll hear from successful women CEOs, executives, and professionals, where we'll discover how they do what they do to be successful in business. We'll be interviewing women who have overcome big challenges, women who have incredible stories of lessons learned in dealing with adversity. We'll even interview women who have started and grown successful organizations and women who are C-level executives with unique talents and positions. Our goal is to bring successful businesswomen together to share how they're leading the way in business today. Good morning and welcome to Women Lead Radio brought to you by Connected Women of Influence. I'm Knight Campbell, your host for The Leading Edge, Women Pushing Boundaries in Life, Adventure, and Leadership. Our topic today is Embracing the New with Jenny Tyson. Jenny is a Knowles Field instructor, executive coach, consultant, CrossFit Level 3 trainer, and I met Jenny on a Knowles instructor course expedition where we spent 30 days together in the Alaskan wilderness. At that time, her enthusiasm, intellect, positive attitude, and leadership impressed me. Today, I'm particularly excited to dig into Jenny's journey from Harvard to high-end consulting to guiding in the wilderness to shooting lasers in caves. Good morning, Jenny, and welcome. Hey, Knight. Great to be here with you. All right, Jenny, to start, what should our listeners know about you? Okay, big question, but we'll start with some broad (laughs) brush strokes. So uh, brief chronology, I am currently uh, living in Nashville, Tennessee, where I do all the things that Knight just mentioned, but got my start as a kid. I moved around a lot. My parents were in the Navy. I think I went to five elementary schools. Learned to love joining new groups of people, living in new places and new countries pretty early on. Always loved being a part of team sports. Played ice hockey all the way through high school and college, was the team captain. Played the saxophone in the marching band, was the drum major of the band, waving my arms around conducting in high school and college. And really just loved taking advantage of new opportunities along the way. Like, for instance, in college, one of my friends on the ice hockey team uh, recruited me to go to the Athens Olympics to sell pins, and we made enough money to pay for our trip to and from Greece. It was incredible. After college, joined the Boston Consulting Group, where I stayed for uh, six years of consulting, worked in at least four countries outside, five countries now that I think about it, six countries. The numbers are going up in my head as I'm counting them outside the U.S., and left management consulting in 2014 to found Cambodia's first CrossFit gym. Did that for a few years, learned about the National Outdoor Leadership School Knowles along the way, switched over to becoming a Knowles field instructor, which I love very, very much. And I'm currently doing uh, mainly uh, more consulting work for Knowles, helping execute a really exciting transformation that we have underway to better serve our uh, our students and employees. And then on the side, I'm still coaching a little bit of CrossFit. And when I'm not doing that, like you said, Knight, I'm in caves shooting laser beams around to help map the world's longest cave in Kentucky. I mean, where do I go from there? This is one of the most diverse uh lives that I've gotten the honor of interviewing here Jenny I'm I'm excited to dig in I'm curious you know starting with your MBA in Harvard uh Boston Consulting what was that experience like for you 
To be honest, I, I loved it. I think the the work of a consultant is something that feels really aligned with a lot of my values. You're collaborating with other people to help improve systems and processes that, at the end of the day, go back and serve people better. And that, that in and of itself, this idea of constant improvement and collaboration really resonated with things I care about. And add to that that I know that I'm an innately curious person. And to have the opportunity, especially early in one's career, every couple of months to learn about how a, another small piece of the world works was a, was a true joy. So getting to go from, you know, uh, how freight is shipped around the world to how potato chips are delivered to how community colleges help make sure their graduates have the skills that employers love, I, I was just fascinated by getting to learn about so many different types of things and then add to that the opportunity to build out a really diverse skill set of tools, I feel grateful for my training at BCG, for my training uh, with my Harvard MBA every day because it means that I've had the opportunity to work on not only the quantitative pieces of you know, how do you build a financial model, how do you, how do you break down a problem to be able to understand the, the different pieces that will make an impact on an eventual answer to the qualitative pieces of how do you think about working with people? How do you present something? How do you get a project from A to Z? And so I, I feel that even though I've done a lot of very different types of things in my life, the skills that I was able to develop at BCG and at Harvard coupled with uh, the curiosity, the collaboration, the desire for improvement, all those things have really paid off across that diverse set of things that I listed for you earlier. I think it's really interesting that you're able to do so many seemingly radically different things, but here you are using your education, your experience as a consultant, consulting for a company that you love, doing things that you love outdoors. What advice can you give listeners about when they're considering big changes in their lives? Mm -hmm. I think the the first thing it probably goes without saying is I I want to just recognize that you know we all have just being comfortable understanding your situation like in terms of you know what is a must do for me right now in terms of financial pieces in terms of uh, family health, in terms of all those things, like thinking short-term, medium-term, long-term, what are the necessary items in my life? You've got to start there. But beyond that, I, things that feel important to me is, will this enlarge me or diminish me? Like that's a question I ask myself a lot. If something seems hard or scary, at the end of the day, is this going to en enlarge my life or diminish it? And that's given me courage to take on things that have seemed a little outside the, the, the norm. And also, I, you know, at the end of the day, I, I've been reading this book recently, 4,000 Weeks. If we only have 4,000 weeks in an average life, like, is this the play? You know, if I only had, you know, X years left to live, et cetera, like, what are my goals? Is this something I'd be so excited to tell people about 10 years from now? And, and often I find that that's the thing where, you know, when I was at BCG thinking about leaving to start this CrossFit gym in Cambodia, I was like, how could I not do this? Like, how could I not do this? I will be so sad 10 years from now if I didn't have this experience. So 
what the heck? Let me just go in and try it. I I really love that. And I wonder, I mean, it sounds so easy hearing you say that, like I'm going to leave this prestigious firm, this I'm assuming well-paying job and go to another country and start the first CrossFit gym. Were there things that were hard about that decision for you? I think, you know, it, there are things that made it easier, certainly, in terms of having moved around and lived overseas as a kid. Mm. I, at the very least, this wasn't the first time I had been outside the U.S. And so even though I hadn't spent much time in Southeast Asia, I had been to Asia before and at least had been outside the U.S. So there, there are things that made it easier, but things that felt hard were, quite frankly, it was things that were external. It was, will people judge me? Like, will I even want to go to an HBS reunion? Will people even understand why I've done this? Is this the best way? If, you know, the HBS mission is to educate leaders to make a difference in the world. Like, is this, is this the best way to, like, live up to, to that potential? And, and I found, I think where difficulties come into my life, it's moving in between communities. I feel like I'm constantly operating in a Venn diagram of these uh, kind of different different cultures, different groups with some different norms and some different behaviors. And there are very, very few people who occupy the middle of that Venn diagram with me of consulting and CrossFit and outdoor guiding and um, all these other things. And at the end of the day, like I'm the one who moves between those spaces. And so I think when I was thinking about whether or not to go to Cambodia, like that was something that I I had a a premonition or at least an inclination, like, wow, this is this may be a challenging thing to navigate, but gosh darn it, there's no reason not to do it. Let's just keep an eye on that over time. I, I really love that. Uh I'm reading Atlas of the Heart by Brene Brown right now and, and just finished the section about belonging and fitting in and the difference that she brings up is this idea of belonging is you're accepted for who you are and fitting is in you're changing who you are a little bit to fit in Mm. how do you grapple with that as you like you said kind of shift between some pretty different groups of people Mm. that's interesting i really appreciate that distinction first of all it resonates in a big way because i think the I think earlier in my life, in my 20s, there was a lot of, like, what do I need to tweak to fit into this situation? And and I'd like to think that I'm 37 now, that I've found more of a sense of self over the intervening decades and years, that it is easier to, and not that I ever aspired to present inauthentically, but to present authentically. And another thing that has helped not only in terms not only along with you know my sense of self, but also like finding people who are stoked about the things I've done. Like it's often there are people out there like, whoa, it's so cool you've done all those things who are excited to learn from other pieces. Like for instance, there's someone I go caving with who is so stoked about the work I do at Knowles 
and was so excited. We did this big thing. We're like, you know, why doesn't the cave-in community do more debriefs after our trips? There's so much we could learn. What are some of the pieces of a well-executed outdoor trip that we could bring to the cave-in community? And he was just jazzed about it. And so we put together a debrief system. We brought it out on a couple of trips. We publicized it within our community. And so I find that I gravitate toward people who are excited to learn from other disciplines and who are not super dogmatic about their own. And so to a certain extent, it's been about kind of finding, finding my tribe of other people who realize that there's a lot to learn uh, from other communities, from other places. And that has given me a sense of solidarity that there are those kind of safe spaces in all of the places I operate in where people are don't believe that there's only one right way to, you know, the the top of the mountain and only one truth. Like the, so those two things, one sense of self and then two, finding people who are appreciative of what I've done and think that there's something to learn from everyone and everywhere. Those two things have helped a lot. A lot of wisdom there. And I would add an Atlas of the Heart, Brene Brown's, says basically that you have to really know yourself and accept yourself before you can be accepted or belong. We are going to take a quick moment uh, at this point and recognize one of our sponsors. Women Lead Radio is brought to you today by Connected Women of Influence and our partner, National University. National University is proud to be San Diego's largest private nonprofit university founded in 1971. The National University mission is to provide accessible, achievable higher education to adult learners. Today, National University educates students from across the U.S. and around the globe with over 170,000 alumni worldwide. Thank you so much for your support, National University, and to all of our sponsors and our partners. And now, Knight, back to your show. Thank you, Michelle. Welcome back to Leading on the Edge with our guest, Jenny Tyson. We're just talking about authenticity, belonging, and doing awesome things like shooting lasers in caves. Uh, Jenny, I wish we had, maybe we're going to have to do a two-part show here because there's a lot to go through. I'm curious, going back to your experience uh, in consulting in a high-end business school, what was that like as a woman? Was anything different for you? Hmm. I, it's funny, reflecting on that question, you know, I don't have the counterfactual. I have nothing to compare it to is if I'd gone through it as a man or is any mm. other identity than the one I possess in the body that, that I have. But one thing that really stands, a couple things stand out actually. One, when I was at Harvard Business School, the, the way that class grading worked is 50% of your grade was your class participation, 50% of your grade was your final exam. And some really awesome fellow students did some analysis while I was there, and they essentially found that uh, the class participation grade, professors weren't remembering the female comments as much as they were the male comments. And when they dug in, they realized that the female comments weren't given as emphatically, they weren't as aggressive, so they were uh, potentially mm -hmm. less memorable uh, by the professors. And so they started adding in someone to record all the comments made. So the professors would have a log. Once that happened, female students' grades went up, et cetera. And so that was interesting to me because that was coupled with 
some extra analysis they did where essentially the findings were that oftentimes in the HBS classroom, female students mistook the confidence of their male counterparts for their competence. That made mm-hmm. female students at a higher bar for when they would throw their hand up and speak. And it was because they said, well, I don't feel as strongly about what I'm about to say as that man just did. I, I guess my, I'm not going to, I'm not going to raise my hand. And so having this pointed out to me was super helpful because one of the reasons I went to business school in the first place was to get more comfortable being decisive. I see it. I often see a lot of shades of gray. I think it's part of uh, part of a factor of being the daughter of my mother, who is also similar, but also a part of my liberal arts training as an undergrad. So I'm often seeing shades of gray. I went to business school to want to get more confident being decisive. And so hearing that, this is just a difference in perception, confidence versus competence. Like, okay, I can start throwing my hand up a little more. And if anything, you know, false confidence is nothing. I, I love this idea. There's a CrossFit a famous CrossFit guy who always talks about earned confidence. Like you earn confidence by putting in the work every day to be able to raise your hand and like know what you're talking about. And so those notions to me I think have played a big piece in my developing confidence as a leader and as I was coached so often as a woman in business, particularly in my 20s, to quote-unquote take up space at the table I was often given coaching on how to physically take up more space. You know, if people are interrupting you, put your hand in the center of the table, draw physical attention to yourself to be able to command the room. And I I often felt I needed to employ those tactics, particularly as the only female in the room. And those things, to your earlier point, sometimes felt inauthentic. And so I think getting more reps in for myself finding some earned confidence along the way, and being able to distinguish when I'm seeing others interact, bravado may be masking a really bad point. And I can, I can trust myself to be able to note that and bring it up in a compelling manner. Yeah, I, I would, bravado probably is often masking a bad point. One thing we've come across at Karen Leadership is this idea of uh, – confidence not coming first so there's this kind of circle of you have to have courage to go out step out try something maybe it's using a power pose maybe it's speaking up in your class whatever it is that experience then leads to competence and then eventually you get confident because you have the Mm -hmm. experience you have the competence and that's really interesting as a man to hear you say like maybe that's not so correct for men we just run around beating on our chest and being really confident and maybe we just skip the confidence all together what are your thoughts on that kind of cycle in in this conversation uh i mean first of all golly hard to generalize <laughs> so i just want to throw yeah, that out these there these conversations <laughs> can be tough like um but but I also don't want to min- minimize potential differences mm. that, that exist and differences that are somewhat like uh, societally imposed, culturally imposed. Like I've been doing a lot of thinking yeah. about like the water I swim in, so to speak. And so I think, yeah. I think, yeah, there is this piece about um, for females, competence leading confidence 
and potentially for for males like confidence being like competence not necessarily being a prerequisite for confidence and that seems like a that entire difference seems like a shame um i would first yeah. of all want people and and maybe we're not even using the word confidence the right way here but like the i think the truest sense of like self confidence like believing in oneself believing in one's power to overcome believing in one's ability to to figure it out i'm noticing my definition of self confidence is somewhat like resilience here mm. like that i would want any human being to have and i would want any human being to feel like they were growing more skilled every single day of their lives knowing there might be a couple of setbacks along the way but yeah i think i think there may be something to it and it i'd be excited for it to look different yeah i'm i'm curious because part of the solution that i hear and and i think i'm probably wrong in hearing it this way from you but is like, hey, women need to be a little bolder and speak up and use the power poses, but what do we lose in organizations if we're constantly asking women to lead in general, like men, instead of like women? I think, I think you lose a ton, right? Because it, it's not just happening across like gender lines when you're asking people to conform to a norm it's happening across all sorts of other identity lines as well and so it seems important is yes presumably you know there are ways of operating and when we get together as human beings in groups where we need to work across difference but ideally we are thinking about you know there these differences make us who we are and so we ideally are helping we're also adapting to the differences of others and so there's this idea of how are you making space or designing spaces with others in mind and of inviting others participation like that, obviously it, it goes both ways right it can't just fall on hey women speak up a little more it goes on every single member of the group to be able to provide space and opportunity for others to give insight Right. There's so much to talk about here, and I'm kind of serious about a part two, but I'm curious. I don't get a chance to interview people who have lived in and worked in six, seven countries, started at a CrossFit gym in Cambodia. What nuances do you see across culture, like quite literally country, nationality, cultures, mm. uh, and women in leadership? Mm. Big I think, question. You know, the first, and it's and it's and it's challenging to answer in um, broad brushstrokes, but you know, I think the the situation that comes to mind right away in terms of <clears throat> how differently things can happen across the world in terms of gender and gender identity is I one of the consulting projects I did while at BCG was based in Saudi Arabia. So I traveled to Riyadh once. I had the opportunity to, and I was, I was grateful for that opportunity as an American woman. You know, that is a part of the world that I was based in Dubai at the time, so I was in the Middle East. But it was, uh, I just was recognizing that many of my female American counterparts wouldn't have the chance to just see what that was like and to experience it. And something that stands out to me a, a couple of things about that experience are you know 
first of all, it was uh, when I got off the plane, it was, you know, necessary basically right away is um, needed to wear an abaya right away. So that's the long cloak mm-hmm. or the robe. Uh, the hijab was optional. But I <laughs> – so I was the only female on my consulting team, and I remember seeing my team for the, the first time in – the hotel lobby, and you know they all looked like they always looked like at work, and I am clothed entirely differently. And they, it was so interesting to just track their reactions. Like one person's jaw dropped, one person laughed, one person was quizzical, and 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 so that whereas that difference felt that way for me, I remembered when I was practicing putting on the hijab with one of my friends who had done a lot of work in the Middle East. It struck me that okay, all I'm do, what I'm doing right now is it's like this is just a second nature to women in other parts of the world as it is for me to put my hair up in a ponytail. Like I put my hair up in a ponytail a, you know, a bajillion times in my life. It's become so second nature to me. So I guess you asked by, you started by asking across cultures broadly, and I feel like there's this piece where it is so unique to the circumstances of each place you're operating in and even each industry you're operating in. And so – that experience in Saudi Arabia, I mean, there were, I think one thing that is different is the extent to which it is common to see a woman in a senior position. Like I remember the pro, uh, some work I did in Japan, I, I was the most senior woman in the room of 30. And that, and I was the, one of the only women there. In Hungary, I was often the only woman um, on the team. And in the U.S., that's rare. That was rare. And so I think it's the ex- – and as I'm thinking and processing this out loud, I think a thing I noticed is that when there are fewer women present, I feel a greater need subconsciously to conform to the standard M.O. of mm-hmm. the, the dominant culture, which is male in the room. And so when there are other women in the room, it's easy to be uh, – to just be Jenny, whatever that means. There's a, I heard there's a rule of three. Once you have three of someone, you don't go, you go from being the only woman to, oh, that's just Jenny. And so I think in the other places I've been in in the world where there were fewer females present and being the only woman in the room, I definitely felt greater pressure to conform and greater pressure to be awesome, not only because I care about being awesome, yeah. but being awesome because I want to, uh, reflect well on all the other women that people may interact with in that capacity. Yeah, there's a lot of research around tokenism, and, and that's exactly what you're talking about. And I, uh, it's hard for me to imagine what that would be like to, to perform at a high level, feeling like you're representing a whole uh, gender or sex. That's mind-boggling to me. Um, do you have any advice for women in that situation? I think one thing that feels important is to think about what your strengths are. Think about the things that you are uniquely talented, gifted, and awesome at, and focus on those. I think so often people focus on their weaknesses or on the distance they need to cover between this is how I operate and this is how others operate. I it, and I'm not saying that you need to – you can totally discount that, but 
this idea of, well, what are the things that the talents and gifts you are uniquely bringing to your team? Because those are probably things that you love doing anyway, if you're good at them. Like, focus on those and continue to think about how you can be of service to the team and also how they can be of service to you. There's, I think, an important piece about like, clearly and simply stating one's needs and expectations versus always thinking about how uh, we can be of service to others, how we can be nurturing the group, how can the group nurture us as well, and, and request that in ways that are caring and thoughtful. Yeah, so, so good. And it comes back to this idea of knowing yourself, appreciating yourself, and not truly being able to belong until you do those mm-hmm. things. Jenny, we're so close to being out of time, and I'm losing my mind over here because I really want to know about lasers and caves. And I hate to come out of <laughs> such a great and deep conversation, but maybe you can share, and maybe we can do a part two. But one thing you're learning from this experience of mapping the world's longest cave with lasers, you just came back this morning from there. I sure, sure did. I So <laughs> where to start? Uh, first of all, caving <laughs> is so fun. There, yes. I feel so grateful to just be a human being on this earth, and if – one part, one thing I love about being in the wilderness is being a small human in a large place. You know, the sense of awe you get. Like being in a cave, you not, are not only thinking about being often in big places, but you're thinking about just the being a small human in like a very long time span, like the millions of yeah. years that it took for this particular thing to form and how easy it is for a callous human to just knock off the small stalactite that worked so hard over 100,000 years to be what it is today. So I, I think that's a piece, um, just great appreciation for, for being alive, for being on Earth. Uh, then secondly, it's this march toward greater competence. Like the trip I did yesterday is not a trip I could have done 10 years ago in terms of the mm. vertical techniques that were required. I was thinking as I was switching all my gear from an upper rope to a lower rope hanging 75 feet in the air. I'm continually <laughs> impressed with, you know, this is this is a heads up moment. Uh, mistakes can happen quickly. Be awesome. <laughs> this is a mistake free zone right now. And so I was just feeling grateful for having gone up the learning curve and the need to be um, the, the need to be constantly vigilant to kind of earn the right to be able to have this opportunity to learn more and more about this cave system. I had to I talk ask for another about hour about it night <laughs> because you're one of the most positive people I know. And I knew if I asked about that, I, we could end the show. I, I think everybody could hear that smile uh, from wherever they are, from Nashville to, to where our listeners are. So Jenny, just in case listeners do want to reach out to you after the show, what's the best way for them to contact you? Yep. You've got two options. One is find me on LinkedIn at Jenny Tyson executive coach and trainer, uh, Tyson with an I, or you can find me on Instagram, send me a DM. I have a private account. It's jaunts of Jenny underscores in between those words. Would love to hear from you. Great. And we'll put those on the notes for the show. So listeners can pop in and get that contact info. Jenny, thank you so much for your time and perspective today. So appreciate you sharing your insights and experience. What a fun conversation. Great talking with you too, Nate. It was a pleasure.
Okay, that is all for our show today. Thank you again, Jenny Tyson, for being our guest, and thank you to all our listeners around the world. Remember, you can always tune into Women Lead Radio shows Mondays at 9 a.m. and Fridays at 2 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. It's been my pleasure to be your host today. I hope this episode inspires you to keep exploring, pushing your boundaries, and leading on the edge. Women Leading the Way is produced by Connected Women of Influence, the premier private membership organization where like-focused, business-to-business executive and professional women connect, collaborate, and cultivate a vast network of high-level affiliations, resources, and professional relationships. For more information about Connected Women of Influence, please visit our website at connectedwomenofinfluence.com.